0: Verse 2 of our song, He Lives, talks about the lack of despair in the Christian's life. Verse 3 in that song talks about the hope that we have, and that's what our topic is tonight. And we are talking now about introducing, we started last week, really two weeks ago we did an introduction, of introducing the concepts of the good news. of We, we talk about dealing with sin We talk about what is truth, what are the absolute standards that we're going to use to determine truth and to present truth. Now we want to talk about the really good news. Here's what Christ has done for you. And so we want to introduce, last week we talked about love, and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, uh, that God demonstrates his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so using the love motif, Uh, And however you want to get to that, whether you start with Jesus and his sacrifice, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, or whether you start with what love is and move towards Christ, this is our opportunity to talk about what did Jesus do for you, because that's the good news. Now, that's what he did for you historically, we want to move on to what will that do for you to trust in him. That is, what is the effect of trusting on Jesus Christ, because that's part of our good news. Is not only that, well, this Jesus did all this stuff for you, well, what does that mean? Well, it's going to mean a lot of things, and we're going to kind of put an umbrella up that we're going to call a true hope. And again, we're using a word that our world has confused and, and made kind of weak and valueless, and so I walk around and we hear people say, well, I hope so, I hope so, I hope so, I hope so, I hope so. and We know that in their usage of that term, we're really talking about wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that this is going to happen at the end of this day. I hope this is going to happen. You know, and like children, uh, right before Christmas, we hope there's lots of presents under the tree, right? Uh, And wishful concepts, and of course, there's never enough for them. Interesting. Uh, Because there's not ever that one they really wanted. Because nobody wants to buy your kid a pony. You know, we all know that. So they're not going to get that one. And so, I hope, I hope, I hope. We use that of wishful thinking. This is what I wish would happen. Well, we want to introduce a word that is a biblical word that is used over and over again in our New Testament to describe what Christ accomplishes in our life. When we trust in him, what is it that we gain? What is the benefit? And remember, we're dealing with a world that is self-absorbed. And all they can think of is that if I come to God, I should be able to get my wish list. And I should never be, and this is why televangelists uh, are so effective, the health-wealth gospel, is because they play to that. And they've been playing to it most all of my life. And in fact, according to the Bible, they've been playing to that the entire existence of the church. As they come out and they say, well, you know, if you're not if God's going to meet all of your wish list. And if he doesn't, then you just need to give more, <laughs> preferably to me. And, and so they extract wealth with the offer of greater wealth. And they'll use concepts out of the Old Testament of seed and, and the hundredfold harvest and things like that, and all to extract from you, not to give to you. We are not communicating, we do not want to communicate anything in our message that would be near those. And so when we communicate that what God is offering is a free gift, what does it accomplish for me? It is Because not every gift is wanted. <laughs> not every gift is valuable, right? And so I see kids that get gifts and then I see them in the yard sale like months later. All right, well, that gift wasn't valuable, either wasn't valuable to the child or wasn't valuable to the family because they got tired of hearing it say, my name is Carson, you know, and um, let's go fast. And, and I just remember that one because that's what my grandkid, the first mouthy toy. Uh, my name is Carson, let's go fast. And it's like, oh, I get tired of hearing that for eight hours a day. So it goes into the box. Into the attic, into the yard sale, whatever it is, because it's just not appreciated. Well, this is not what Christ is offering us, a gift we don't want, or that becomes annoying. Rather, he is giving us something much more substantial, and we want to share that with people that we're not talking about coming to this a new law. We're not talking about coming to a new sets of do's and don'ts. We're talking about coming into a relationship with God that's characterized by all these wonderful things. And the self-absorbed person, though, comes to the gospel and says, well, here's my wish list. And it's like, well, you want the wrong things. You know, what do men want? Well, they want fame. They want fortune. They want everything to go their way. They want all of these things that really aren't healthy, and we all really know it. If they were healthy, and all the people that had them would be happy, but they're not. Um, in fact, most of the wealthiest people on our earth today, you know what they, their number one desire is? That there be less people on the earth. Uh, if you remember uh, when the queen's husband died, uh, what he said before he died, he, on his deathbed, this is what he said, If I had my wish, I would be reincarnated as a deadly virus and lower the population of the earth. Okay, One of the most wealthy people. That was his deathbed wish. Well, maybe he did. That was his deathbed wish. Wealthy, powerful, famous, everything. And what did he want? He wanted fewer people. He didn't want to share himself or his wealth with anybody. He he only needs enough people to serve his needs, and then the rest of the, of the earth can, should just die off. We need to have fewer population, and that's true of another very very wealthy guy named Bill Gates, right? What does he want? He has everything a man could want, but what is he spending all of his time doing? Trying to depopulate the earth. That's his gift to us. Well, we have a very different message, don't we? And so you want all these things, but those things are not satisfying. None of those things are satisfying that people want after. And so they're self-absorbed. They want these things for selfish reasons, and they are ignorant of the fact that they are not satisfying. Um, and even when they get a taste of those things, um, it doesn't benefit them, and we need to communicate that to them. Well, God's gift is something so much better than anything else out there. And so we're going to use a word hope as the umbrella to describe what Christ is offering people. And so in in this context we're talking about the power of the resurrection since we're in that season, whether you think this is Palm Sunday or Easter Sunday, uh, the hope of the resurrection. The Bible talks about that extensively. And so, what is the power of the resurrection? What does it accomplish for me? Well, it gives me this sure hope. And hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. You've heard me teach this extensively. It is confident expectation. Here's what you can expect from God when you trust in Jesus Christ, right? And we could hopefully build a pretty substantial list, right? Well, number one, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. Uh, number two, the wages, the, the earnings of sin is dealt with. So there is now, therefore, no condemnation. We are not under condemnation. We're not under this guilty judgment any longer. We are freed of that guilt, and that's called justification. That is that we, doesn't mean that we didn't do it. It means that I am not going to be penalized for doing it. I'm going to be forgiven And it's gonna be as if I didn't do it. I'm gonna be justified. And that sin went on to Jesus Christ. He became sin for me. And so we wanna communicate that to people. That's part of our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, but it doesn't end there. And too many times that's all we communicate is forgiveness of sins and you get to spend forever in heaven. Nothing in between, that there's no, there's no, nothing else. Well, let's look at a few passages and see what the Bible talks about in terms of our hope. And I'm just going to, we're going to read through these. I was going to hand out papers, have you read them. Uh, but I think I'm just going to go through them and read them. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter, no, let's start in Romans, Romans 5, because I just quoted Romans 5:8. So let's read what Romans 5, 9 says, right? So we just share Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that was part of our good news of Christ's love, that he died for us, that he was crucified, was buried, and rose again. That Corinthians talks about as well. This is the message that we speak to people. Well, what's the next passage say? Well, let's go ahead and read it. verse 9. It says, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So, now here is the benefit that comes from trusting in Christ's provision made through His love. So, His love equals provision. Hope is going to equal benefit. That's what I'm doing here. I'm using biblical terms uh, for aspects of the good news that you're sharing with people. So, His love is the provision. He provided, provided, provided. Jesus Christ died. The hope is the effect is the benefits we receive. So now, because of what he's done, we have been justified, we're going to be saved from wrath through him. So now we no longer have to concern ourselves with the wrath of God, and that's condemnation being put upon us. We are saved from his wrath. What are we talking about being saved from? We ask people, are you saved? Usually we say, well, are you saved from sin and death? Well, certainly there's deliverance, there's forgiveness of sin, there's cleansing of that. But what are you really saved from? Ultimately, this is one of the best verses to talk about what salvation is. It is you are saved from God's wrath. You who were once the enemies of God and an affront to God because of your sin, he could not look upon you and all that you deserve is judgment called death or eternal fire. Um, Now you are saved from that. You are saved from that present condition and that future condition. Now you are in a right relationship with God. You are saved from his wrath. And if we've done our presentation well, and they've been convicted of their sin and recognize, I am a dirty, rotten sinner, and they are weeping over their sin that is deserving of death and God's judgment and condemnation, this good news is you can be saved from that. This is our hope. This is the the offer. You can be saved from God's wrath, from his judgment that you rightly deserve. You can be justified. Can't undo the act of sin. You can't by your own good works undo those. But you can trust in Jesus to cover those and to deliver you from the wrath that it has earned you. I want to get off. I want to get away from the judgment that my sin insists upon. And so this is what it talks about. Let's jump ahead a couple of chapters here in Romans since we're there. Let's go to Romans 8 and see how this is, uh, is furthered. Um, and I think this is important because it's not just about eternity in the future, it's about today. Verse 11 of Romans 8 says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we're going to add to our list of the benefits of this package deal that is paid for by Jesus Christ shed blood and given power through the resurrection. And that is that not only your sins are going to be forgiven, you are released from the wrath of God, you're delivered from that, but you are also, it says here, Having an expectation that as Christ rose from the dead, you will be right. you will give you life in your mortal bodies. Now, this is <laughs> this is um. What's that called when two things that can't be this, the opposites? A paradox, right? Thank you. Paradoxical terms. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies. What does mortal mean? Prone to death. He's going to give life to your death. And so he's not just going to take away the condemnation, the sin. He's going to give you life. And he's going to give you a fullness of life by his Holy Spirit indwelling you. Do you see it there in verse 11? Through this Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And so that is our confidence. So it's not just about eternity. We're not going to neglect eternity in heaven. That's certainly part of the good news. But we often forget to tell people, listen, the promise is today and every day until his coming that you're going to be saved from his wrath. That's today. You're going to be justified today. And now we have an opportunity to live for Christ. And that's what we try to portray in baptism, right? We talk about baptismal waters being the, the watery grave. It's a picture, a symbol of a grave. That This is who I was. I Jesus Christ died and was buried. I put to death my flesh. I am raised to new life in Christ. And as Christ rose from the dead, not only I have a future expectation, but today I am a new person, a new creation. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and I have an expectation of life Even while I'm in this mortal body, I can live for God. That is a wonderful thing. You can not only have your sins forgiven, not only be saved from the wrath of God, you can have a life that is pleasing to him. The rest of your days on earth, you can please God. You have the power by the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the knowledge by his word and the spirit again illuminating us. And so we have this wonderful gift that Jesus Christ is offering, also known as the comforter, um, the guide, all of these things given that uh, promise. And we don't often talk about that while we're presenting the gift of salvation. We usually just talk about, well, your sins will be forgiven and you get to go to heaven. And that's pretty meager compared to what the Bible says is our hope. Our hope is a lot bigger. We have much more. And it's like, well, what happens between today when I pray the service prayer and when I die and go to heaven? Well, we don't talk about that as part of the hope of salvation. Listen, we're going to save you. We're gonna, this is going to, this deliverance, this, this gift that you receive is going to give you life, a meaningful life here on earth, empowered to please God by his spirit to know his word, all of these things. And so it gives us all of this through uh, the power of the resurrection when we trust in Jesus Christ. It should be part of your presentation is that not just today you're going to be forgiven and way in the future you're going to go to heaven after you die. What about in between? There are the promises of God that are yes in Jesus Christ according to Corinthians. So let's go to 1 Corinthians and I have a couple other verses I want to look at that specifically talk about what we are offering. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, first of all. What is our hope? And we're going to get to the aspect of heaven for sure. Um, we're not going to avoid that. I just want to make sure we give a fuller op, fuller presentation of all that God's done for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Um Oh, I got the wrong verse. Oh, here, verse 11, sorry. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So we have an opportunity to serve God for these days. We can build on this. This is our hope, is that God is attentive, not just here and there. He is attentive everywhere in between. That we have an opportunity to please him to build a reward in heaven. That now you can start pleasing God, you can start serving God, and God will record that. God will be paying attention. God will be alert to that. And we can go to Philippians, it says, listen, you have a a account in heaven that you can add to, um, and that no one can take away, right? And so this is what we want to do, is say this is part of our hope. We can serve God, and there is a reward and it can endure. You can do things today that will last forever. Wow! Name one other offer like that. You could do things today that will last forever. This is one of the things self-absorbed people want to do, right? I want to get in the history books. So I'll be known forever. It doesn't matter whether I'm known as being a mass murderer or a mass. Deliver, right? As long as I'm known forever, they make statues. Nobody ever tears down statues, do they? Because once they put you in bronze, everyone will remember you for the rest of eternity, right? Until the Turks come along and knock your head off and send that, and then the British come along and find the heads, and they go one place, and then the bodies go to Greece or somewhere else, and you never get them connected again, and nobody knows who you were. So, yes, what happened with the destruction of statues here in our recent history in our country um, has precedent. It's been done before. Okay, that's what men want. They want to be, I want to make my mark on the world. It's like, <laughs> I want to make my mark on a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. An eternal difference. And this is part of the hope that we have, a reward. But let's keep going. Let's, that, let's go to First Corinthians 15. This is really the strength of this. 1 Corinthians 15. What is the hope that we are offering people? Let's pick up in verse 19. 15 is a very long chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians 15. Pick up in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. His argument is, if, there's, if Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then you're not going to raise from the dead, and you're as pitiful as everybody else. If you just have, I just, I just hope that I have a good life here before I die. If that's all there is, then we are no different than the rest of the world. If this is the extent of our hope, if this is all there is, and we're just trying to live a good life, and then... Um, we're going to die. And by the way, that is the expectation of every Jehovah's Witness. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness, um, you're trying to live a good life and have a good life because when you die, you cease to exist. There is no eternity for you. There's only eternity for 144,000. That's called the John class. And that class closed many decades ago with the first 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. Isn't that convenient? Everyone else, their only hope that they have, and the reason they're living a good life is that Jesus comes back and allows them to live on his regenerated earth and not die. And so if you go to the funeral of a Jehovah's Witness person, there is no hope. They just cease to exist. They only have a hope that they will, is in this life. In this world. That's it. Great offer, huh? Well, they're pitiful. And he says, we're pitiful too if there's no resurrection. We have a hope that transcends this life. So we have forgiveness of sins delivered from condemnation. We have life and the spirit in this intermediate period. But then we also have an expectation of eternity. And that is built upon the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Let's jump ahead a lot of verses. I could spend a lot of time here. Let's go to verse 50. In First Corinthians fifteen. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery: we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And this is that offer. So when this corrupt law is put on incorruption, this mortality is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, be steadfast and movable and, and abounding in the work of the Lord. So we have this hope that we will go into eternity in Christ's presence, that there is a kingdom waiting for us. And so I'm not saying don't ever talk about this. This is part of the great hope that we offer, eternity in heaven, that we who are alive when Christ returns are not wanting to live here on earth, right? Is that what you want? Let's just regenerate the earth so we don't have famine and, and we don't have you know, bad crops, we don't have bad weather, we just have comfort and ease, and let's just stay here in this body and no disease. That's not what my hope is. That's not what the Bible is. My hope is that I can get rid of this body and put on a new body for a new place called the new heaven and the new earth. That's my hope. And so I am going to put off this corruption and put on an incorruptible body. So we offer eternal life. We're going say not eternally in this corrupted body, but eternal life in a new body that awaits us at Christ's coming. Whether you're dead or alive, you'll receive this new body at the resurrection that is fitted for the new heaven and new earth to be with Jesus forever. And so that is the victory that we have over sin and death is there. Let's go over now to Hebrews 9. Then we're going to come back to another passage, Hebrews 9. Again, verse 15. Again, Jesus Christ is better, 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 better. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better priest. We have a better everything because of Christ. Christ. Verse 15, for this reason, he is a mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And so not only do we have the transgressions removed, he says, listen, we have this agreement with God. You're entering into a covenant agreement with God, and when God signs on the dotted line, he never reneges. We do. Frequently, but he never does. God is offering you a covenant relationship in which you will not only have your transgressions gone, but you will have an eternal inheritance. Now, to be an inheritor, you need to be what? You need to be an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ is what he feeds. We're going to be going to Ephesians here shortly. And so this is the offer of God. We are not putting that off, but we are recognizing This isn't about self-absorbed, I want, I want, I want, I want, I wish, I wish, I wish. No, it's what we have offered by God that is so much better than your wish list. You are entering into an agreement with God that God will be faithful, and therefore he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it, the Bible says. We can have this confidence that God will do what he says because he has always done what he has said. He's not wishy-washy. And he's not going to find loopholes so he doesn't have to bless you. That's not who our God is. And so we're offering this good news to people. This is the gift of God. Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You can see it in John. There's many places you can see that. What does that mean? It means that I'm going to get rid of this corrupt body. We're going to be in this new place. There's going to be an inheritance uh, and it's not about what I can get, it's about what I share in with Christ. You're going to be an equal standing before God of His only begotten Son to this wonderful inheritance uh, that waits for you, that is the promise that we will receive. So let's go to one more passage. I might even get done on time tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a whole lot I could be saying, but I'm trying to... I want to get through all the passages. It's better for you to know what God's word says than what I have to say. Ephesians chapter 2. And we could spend a lot of time in Ephesians um, because it describes so much of what our inheritance is in chapter 1, chapter 2. We could do extensive things of all that he has accomplished for us that we can receive as this gift. But I want to focus here in this one section. Let's pick up in verse 12 of chapter 2. Um, We're in mid-sentence. I don't like that, but it's okay. That at that time, that is when you were saved, before you were saved, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was your condition. You were without hope. Uh, You had no promises of God that you could claim as your own. None. You had no access you weren't even Jewish, uh, and so you had no claim to it that way. Although their claim is lost um, because they rejected their Messiah, and so he says, "Listen, this is your condition: you're without hope. You had no access. Um, you were in deep trouble. You didn't even. Have, you there was no God in your world." Verse thirteen. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the father you are we are entering into a covenant relation with God okay all the other things are secondary but we usually talk about them first because of men are self-interested right and so well, you're going to get forgiveness of sin. You're going to get saved from condemnation. You're going to have life. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a new body. You're going to have an eternal reward. You're going to have all those things. And all of those things are absolutely true. But it would be very easy then to accept Jesus Christ for very selfish reasons, right? Because I want, I want, I want, I want. These passages take us to another category of this gift is that You are entering into, God is offering you a relationship. He is offering this agreement between you. And we all really, we don't use the word covenants very much anymore in in modern terminology. Uh, We use some other uh, words for that. Um, But we all know what a covenant is. Uh, uh, For example, when we have a marriage, we have a, what? We have a marriage covenant. Uh, we don't call it that. Well, we have the vows. We take vows. You know, I promise to love, honor, obey, um, whatever. And so we have these vows we take. Well, that's a covenant. You are agreeing to do your part, and, and the other party is agreeing to do their part. So I'm going to be a really good husband. She responds, I'm going to be a really good wife. Let's go off into the sunset together, you know, and holding hands to Hawaii uh, and everything's wonderful from there on because we're both going to fulfill our vows, right? And we all do that perfectly. And that's why we all stay happily married forever and ever, never. And so we really not forever and ever, just till death. Remember, you're only vowing it for one lifetime, unless you're Mormon. Mormons, they vow what they're married to that person, for the rest of eternity wonder how they feel like when the honeymoon's over. I'm stuck with this person forever. No, in, we're, we're, it's till death do us part, death is the end, the separation of that covenant. And so we all understand vows. Well God is vowing, we're getting into this intimate relationship that is a, a, a legal agreement. God is bringing you into his inheritance. He's bringing you into this relationship with him uh, that, that's equivalent to his relationship with Jesus and that we are made um, into this, the word here is used, peace, that we can have peace with God. You can be at peace with God. There's a big difference between being saved from condemnation and being in an intimate, peaceful relationship, isn't there? Okay? So a judge can let you off that doesn't mean that you can go to his house and have an intimate dinner that night. That's not an invitation to that, is it? He's just letting you off for your crime. He's justified you. But God, the gift that God is offering is an intimate relationship with him. He's not just offering to give you a a pardon. okay? He's he's willing to now invite you into this intimate relationship long-term, legal relationship. That's what a covenant is. It's a legal relationship. That he has bound himself to you, even as you've chosen to bind yourself to him. Do you want this relationship with God that is based not upon um, your works and you failing that, but he is going to be faithful and he is going to... uh, Bring you near. It says you're going to be brought near to God. You're, God is offering you intimacy with himself. We don't talk about that very much when we share what is salvation giving you. And we, I hear people say, and radio personalities, so it's pretty widespread, and Christian communities out there, Oh, every person has a God-sized hole in their heart. How many of you have ever heard that expression? I've heard it here. Every man has a God-sized hole. Uh, And that means that we have this longing for a relationship that is outside of human relationship is what their expression is referring to. But we don't hardly ever talk about that as part of salvation. What we are really offering God is a relationship with God. This is offering man. This is what we're offering, man, is a relationship with God. We get caught up in the forgiveness, and that's important, and the salvation from his wrath, and life, and the Holy Spirit, and eternity, and a new body, and all all those things are wonderful. And I'm not saying that they're wrong to talk about. You should talk about them. The Bible talks about them. They are part of the hope that we have. But one of the things that is, pervades all of it across that whole chronology from the point of salvation to the point of being His presence is that you have an opportunity to be an in intimate relationship with God. That you can call Him Father. That He will listen to your prayers. That He will guide you through His Spirit. That He will work in your life, that he will sustain you, strengthen you, comfort you, empower you. These are all things God has already signed the document in the blood of Christ saying he will provide for you. And so when we come into this relationship, God already decided, I'm not just going to forgive your sins and get you into heaven as a slave or servant. That would be wonderful. No, I'm going to make you my own children. Equal in position in terms of inheritance with my own son. I'm going to treat you as one of my own. And we are one of God's own. And we need to communicate that somewhere in the gospel, whether it be after, right after they pray the sinner's prayer or whatever, however they express their faith in Christ, uh, we need to communicate that very quickly, or even before that. They'll say, well, God, Jesus Christ died on the cross. What for? To forgive your sins. He rose from the dead to um, save you from God's wrath, to give you life, to give you all of these things, to guarantee you a place in heaven and a new glorified body. But but more importantly than all that, and yes, it is more important than all of that, God is offering you an intimate relationship with himself. You can know God. You can talk to him. You, you can read his word and understand it now. You can, you can have this intimacy with him that is impossible without Jesus Christ. You must trust in Christ to have that. Oh, that we should talk about that because that's filling that hole in their life that we talk about its presence, but we don't necessarily talk about its being filled as part of the offer and so, under this can, under this umbrella of hope, let's be willing to tell people all the wonderful things that are being offered. I know they're self-absorbed, and that's why we want to pull them away a little bit from their the concept that I'm to be, you're going to be wealthy, and you can't outgive God, and you're going to be healthy, and everything's going to go your way, and you're going to feel wonderful all the time. Um, I don't know any Christian that feels wonderful all the time. Because feelings are weird. They're the hardest things, you know, because if something doesn't go my way, I get a flat tire, I suddenly go from singing to going, ah, that's feelings. You know, that's how fast feelings can change, right? Tooling along, hey, (laughs) oh. What do we say? That ruined my day. Why? Because feelings are volatile. But hope isn't. Hope is a confident, expectation. I have confidence that I have a relationship with God because I trust in Jesus Christ and all of his promises are mine. Don't be afraid to include that and maybe we should work harder at including that when we talk about all the things that is in this great big package called the gift of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, would you thank you again for such a wonderful salvation you've provided for us And, Lord, we hardly grasp at ourselves the depth and the breadth of what you have done for us and offered us. And, Lord, uh, uh, no wonder we don't communicate it well when we don't sometimes understand ourselves. And, Lord, help us to uh, know your promises, to um, have that hope, that sure hope in you, and that it might be evident to those around us that we are at peace with you, and that this transcends all the rest as the most precious of what you offer, this close fellowship that we can have, that we can come before you right now and speak before you as our Father, as your children, knowing that we truly are in your sight, and you are in our sight, our Father. We thank you for that, And Lord, we see that emptiness, that despair of all these self-absorbed people who are chasing after things that aren't fulfilling. False hopes and dreams that can never endure. And Lord, help us to have opportunities to share with them the hope that we have in you. Because of your son's death, burial, and resurrection power. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Next week is a dinner. So we're not going to do the third aspect of this. Next week is the dinner.